This morning, I invite you to open your Bible and follow along if you'd like to today. I'm also going to put scripture on the screen. And uh, I want us to think about one of those things that cause us to be hindered in experiencing the abundance, the abundant life that God wants us to have. And, uh, and one of the things that holds us back is our own pride and our own insecurity, our own self-centeredness. But when we cast that off and we humbly put ourselves under God and we humbly serve and care for others, when we began to live a life of that kind of humility and service in mind and behavior, it opens a door of receiving great blessing in your life. God wants you to have a great, full, and abundant life. Amen? The thief, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. John 10, 10. But I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so this series of messages, we've been talking about experiencing that abundant life. And so today, I'm going to read... Uh, I'm, we're going to talk about humility, and I'm going to read uh, 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 three different sections of Scripture today, and I encourage you to follow along as we read from God's Word. Notice what it says in 1 Peter chapter number 5, beginning with verse number 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to whom? The humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Amen. James says it like this. Chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that is made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he 
will exalt you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the reading of your word. It's so powerful. It speaks to our heart. Today, I pray that we might humbly listen to your voice, receive the word that you have for our hearts, and Father, we might respond in faith and obedience to you. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. What is humility? Let's take a moment and think about it. And what, what does it mean to be an humble person and, and, uh, uh, and, and have humility in your life? Now, uh, uh, let's just look at some definitions of humility. First of all, it's a characteristic of being humble. It's humbleness in character and in behavior. And so it is a mindset. Notice the next, another definition. It's a, a modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance. Have you ever met somebody that you thought that they were a little bit full of themselves thinking about their importance? You know what I mean? I mean, uh, we've, sometimes we've acted that way and sometimes we've been that way ourselves. His old saying, I'd like to buy that guy for what he's worth and sell him for what he thinks he's worth. And so, uh, um, and uh, one of the, one of a, a politicians, a politician that uh, served in Texas for many years was a woman who became the governor of Texas. Her name was Ann Richards. She had a way of barbing you with jabs and putting you in her place. In particular, she liked to give it to the Republicans as often as possible, and they were many times deserving of it. And, uh, and uh, she, in particular, liked to pick on George Herbert Walker Bush. And uh, when she addressed the Democratic National Convention, she, uh, 
She needled him. She says she grew up just out in a small town outside of Waco, Texas. And she addressed the convention. She said, I wanted to address you today because you ought to hear what a true Texas accent sounds like. George Herbert Walker Bush had moved to Texas, run as a politician from Texas, but he was a blue blood from, the, from Maine. He wasn't really a Texan. And so she was needling him. It was hilarious back in the day. And so she, uh, she, she gave it to him. And then she uh, needled him. She said, poor George, meaning Herbert Walker Bush, who was often known by kind of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. She said he was born with a silver, silver boot in his mouth as she made fun of him. And then she also gave the business to George W. Bush, and she said, poor old George, he's all hat and no cattle. And so uh, the way that he would strut about, she made fun of him and teased with him. And Richards had a way of putting the needle to not only the Republicans, she gave it to the Democrats as well. When she addressed them, she was only the second woman to ever address the convention. And she said, two women in 160 years, that's about right. Says, you men think that you run everything. Then she said, you know, Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did, except she did it going backwards on high heels. And so, uh, meaning that women have an ability beyond what men do. Y'all can't laugh because you're so consumed with politics, you can't say anything's funny, see? (laughs) I'm trying to lighten you up. We live in the weirdest time, don't we? Arrogance abounds. And it doesn't know one party or the other, does it? The word humility, it comes from a Latin word, humilis. And uh, it means low, and that's the idea. A, a, a low position. The, the Greek New Testament word it meant lowliness of mind. A lowliness of mind. And so C.S. Lewis can said, said, said concerning humility, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. So life's not all about you. That's, look what Paul has to say about it in, in, in Philippians, the passage of Scripture, in chapter number 2. Do nothing from what? Say it with me. Do nothing from what? Selfish ambition or what? Conceit. But with humility, what? Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the what? Interests of others. Don't make life all about you. That you're the center of all of this. Paul says selfish ambition. You're climbing that ladder. It's conceit. It's puffing yourself up. But he said instead count others more significant than yourself. That you care about them. It's not about you. It's about them. Caring for them. Loving them. Taking care of them. Don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. So this is, this is this attitude that was also in Christ that is the attitude that's to be in us as believers. Now, what are, what are the attributes of the humble person? And so look with me, the, um, these attributes. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or clutched or held on to. But instead, what does he do? He empties himself, taking the form of a servant. He, here is our Lord and Savior. He's, he's in the throne room. He, he's in heaven. He's equal with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, he did not think equality with God a thing to be held on to or grasped grasp or clutched, but instead, he empties himself. This is beyond my imagination. That the king of glory would condescend to us and leave the throne room of heaven and become a man and dwell among men that are sinful and lowly. He identified with us in our lostness and our lowliness so that he might serve us like a servant. What an amazing Savior we have. Amen. He humbled himself to becoming obedient. Obedient to whom? Obedient to the Father. Obedient to the will of God. Obedient to the mission of God. To the point of death. To laying down his life, shedding his own blood. Even death in a humiliating way, on a cross, like a criminal, executioned for crimes that he did not commit. The attributes of this kind of humility are found in Christ. And in your notes, you can take notes. First of all, an humble person trusts God. And that's what Jesus did. He trusted in God. You can't be humble if you don't trust the Lord. Because if you don't trust God, you're always fighting for your position, fighting for your rights, fighting for your recognition, fighting for your respect. You're you're always fighting because you can't trust God. But when you say, I'm trusting God, He has my back, He, He has called me to this, And then that enables you to go and serve and love and give to others because God has you. And this is a trust in God. You you show me arrogance and pride and conceit and competitiveness. And I'll show you a person that doesn't trust in God. But when you trust him, then you can serve him and serve others. There's also a denial of self, and we see it in our Savior, denies his own position. He empties himself. There's obedience. He was obedient to the point of death. Stay with me now. Listen. Even death on a cross. And he served us like a servant. That's what Paul said. And he took up a role of service for us. What is the opposite? The opposite of humility is what? Say it with me. It's pride, right? If you look at the, uh, and, and this is the opposite. See, pride is always trusted in self. Pride wants to obey self and self's agenda and our own flesh. And see, pride is always trying to exalt self and lift self up. 
Have you ever seen what kids do when you ask them to get in a line? You want to give them, maybe you're teaching them or you're lining them up in Bible school or you've taught school or your own kids and you have them get in the line. Have you ever noticed what boys and some girls will do? You know, with elbows, right? Get my place in line. He cut in front of me. It's all that, right? Jostling for position. The difference between adults and children is we continue to jostle the same way, except we use it with words and attitude. Don't we? We do. And we fight for our position, fight for our respect. Does anybody ever like it when you feel like somebody's disrespected you? No, we don't like it, do we? Just yesterday, something happened I'm not happy about, about me and my own fleshly nature. And I, we were, Christy and I were do, doing something together, and, and I was messing with my phone. And when I was messing with my phone, uh, I, I was calling about the weather and talking to different people and worrying about whether we are going to get iced out or nothing. And I was messing with the car, and I shouldn't have been messing with the phone and driving at the same time. And so then I accidentally were calling people with my phone. And I was like, I, I tried to FaceTime with Irma. Christy goes, Tim, you're FaceTiming Irma on your phone. I said, well, she kind of laughed at me. And I felt that she was laughing at me. Well, I got mad at her, mad at me, embarrassed. It's because I'm full of myself. Pride in me. Wasn't pretty. Ugly. We all have that pride, don't we? I think somebody disrespects you, dishonors you. And, and it, you know, it, it hooks that. Anybody ever feel that? You, 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 you're with somebody and you just feel like you're competing with that person? Why are you competing with them? Because of the pride in us. And let me tell you what it does. It chokes life out of you. You miss out on, on, with, in all that God wants you to be. Pride exalts yourself. Pride serves self. Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 18. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. It's the better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than divide the spoil with the proud. Amen? Folks, arrogance and pride. Arrogance and pride. That's okay. Don't, don't worry about that spill. Just go ahead. We'll just sit down. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> now, arrogance and pride get in our way, right? It gets in our way. And so... <clears throat> When I puff myself up, when I become conceited and filled with myself, then, then, then it brings destruction into my life. God is opposed to the proud. He's against the proud. But he what? Gives grace to what? Humble. When I take the position of pride and arrogance, I put myself in a position against God and his authority. And it brings destruction into my life. What I'm teaching about today is so very important. Listen closely. 
You either humble yourself or you will be humbled. You either humble yourself under God and His authority or there will be a day of reckoning. And in that day of reckoning, you will be humbled. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Arrogance and pride are nemesis to your spiritual growth. Amen? Amen. I want to look at some examples of, of humility. When I think of different biblical examples of it, I, the ultimate one is Jesus himself. I think about one of the stories in the New Testament I think about that showed humility was a woman in the area of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus retreats with his disciples. And there's this woman of Syrophoenician background. She's Canaanite, the Scripture says. And this Canaanite comes to Jesus, and he's with his disciples and other Jews. And she is a Gentile, Canaanite. And she comes to him, and she says, would you help my daughter? She is very desperately sick. And, and Jesus is not paying any attention to her. And disciples, they're saying, would you please help this woman? She's driving us crazy. And Jesus said, uh, I've come for the lost house of the sheep of Israel. And, 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 and so she addresses him, and she asks for help. And he said, do you think it's right to take the children's bread, testing her, and give it to the dogs? Seems uncharacteristic of Jesus. But then this woman responds. She said, Lord, she said, even, even the puppy dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. If I'm a dog, then let me just be a puppy dog under the table and have a crumb. And you take care of my daughter. And he said, woman, your faith is great. And he healed her daughter. She humbled herself before the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful story? Another one is found in Jesus, an episode in the life of Jesus. He's at Simon's house. Simon is a very important dignitary Pharisee, and he's having people all in his, um, uh, in his house uh, uh, from all over. And there's this woman who comes in, and she's very notorious. She has a sinful background, and she comes in, and she's weeping. And she's standing at Jesus, behind Jesus, at his feet. And as they're reclined around the table, tears are flowing. And tears fall on his feet. And she takes her hair, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And then she takes an alabaster jar filled with very expensive perfume, and she anoints him. And Simon, who's hosting this, a dignitary, he is a Pharisee. He says if he was really a man of God, he would know what kind of woman this is who's touching him, and he wouldn't allow that to happen. And he, Simon, he said, Simon, I got a question for you. He said if, if two men owed a great debt, one owed 500 denarii and the other just owed 50 denarii, and both of them were forgiven their debt, 
Which one do you think would love, uh, uh, love the one who forgave them more? And he said, the one that owed more. And he said, that's exactly right. You've got it right. And Simon, I came into your house. You gave me no water for my feet. I came to your house. You didn't greet me with a kiss. When I came to your house, you didn't anoint me with my head with oil. You didn't do all the things that a normal guest uh, would do, uh, 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 no normal host would do for a guest. You didn't show that kind of hospitality. But this woman has wet my feet with her tears. This woman has wiped it with her hair. This woman has anointed my feet with oil, with uh, alabaster oil. He said, she has loved great because she's been forgiven great. But you don't think you have to love because you don't think you've been forgiven much. You see, that there's humility in that woman. But the greatest example of humility, humility I think, is our Savior himself. In John's Gospel, chapter number 13, there's an interesting story. Jesus is with his disciples. You know the story. And they have rented an upper room. It's the last week of his life. And they have rented this upper room and the, and the, in the last week of his life. And there's no servants there. And the disciples are there to celebrate the Passover with Jesus. And so there's no one to wash feet and show those servant means of hospitality. So they're all sitting around ready to eat their meal, and everybody is so prideful that nobody, I think they're measuring one another up by a pecking order about who ought to be washing feet. They've already been arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom and who's going to sit on Jesus' right or Jesus' left. And they've been jockeying for position. Jesus knows all this. And Jesus gets up from supper and he lays aside his robes, his outer garment. And what does he do? The Bible says that he takes up a towel and a basin and he fills the basin with water. And when it's filled with water, then he goes and he kneels at the disciples' feet. Can you imagine? And he takes their feet in his hands, takes off their shoes and ties the thong of her shoes. And then he takes the water and he begins to wash the dust and the dirt off of the disciples' feet. And then he has his water and he rag. He goes over to the next disciple. He comes and begins to wash his feet. He's washing the feet of dirty, sinful, rebellious, self-centered men. He's taking the position of a servant. He not only takes in his hand, I think as he comes to Thomas's feet, he undoes the laces of his sandals. He begins to wash his feet. He knows that he's a, a doubter. He knows that he's timid. He knows that he's often wrong. He comes to the feet of John, who he loves, and he knows about John's fears and John's sin and James and their arrogance their positioning, their pride, trying to be a place of importance. 
comes to Peter. Peter tries to stand up and object. He said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. He said, if I don't wash your feet, I don't, you don't have any part of me. He said, well, wash me all over. He said, you don't need an all-over bath. Your feet are dirty. He takes his feet in his hands, and he's washing them. He's praying for him. Jesus said to Simon, Simon said, everybody else will leave you, but I'll never leave you. I'll never betray you. I'll never deny you. Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift you, Simon, but I've prayed for you. I just wonder if it wasn't when he was at his feet or other times that he prayed for him. Jesus comes to Judas and he unties the laces and he takes his feet, one that he called who would betray him. And when he had finished, he rose and he put back on his garments and he was seated. It is a very picture of what our Savior would do as a servant. He left the throne room of heaven. He laid aside regal robes. He came like a servant. He lived among men. He died on a cross. He poured out His own blood to cleanse us and make us right with God. Listen to what he said. And when he had washed their feet and put his outer garments on, he resumed his place. And he said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I have given you what and what? Example that you should do just. As I've done to you. Amen. He has called us to do the very same thing. If he so served us, he's called us to serve. The question is, how do I do it? How do I take up this towel? How do I do it? Number one, I think you have to meditate on the grace of God. We become full of ourselves when we meditate about us, and we think about us. But where we become able to serve others is when I start thinking about all that Jesus has done for us. You see, when I think about the grace of God, I realize that I am lost. I realize I've messed up. I realize that I've sinned, and all of my fathers, we sinned against a holy God. We went our own way. We've made a mess of our life that I'm dead in my trespasses and sins, that I could never find God, I could never restore, I have no standing, I have no rights, but it is God that loved me. And God in His great, for God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in me should not perish, but have everlasting life. That God demonstrated His love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I think that how God came in a form of a man and he died on the cross and he bore my shame, he bore my sickness, he bore my sorrow, he bore my sins, he made them his very own. He died the death that I deserve so that I might have life. 
in Him. Somebody in this room ought to say amen to that. Praise God. This is the grace. I am nothing without Jesus. Number two, trust your life to God. This life's not yours. Well, it's my life, my position. It's not your life. It's His life. So trust your life to Him. The three, deny a self-centered life. Deny that. If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his own cross, and follow after me. And serve other people graciously. Give of your life. This is where the fullness will come into your own life. Amen. Number six, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Notice the Lord exalts the, he exalts the humble. He does. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. Jesus Christ not only died for your sins, he rose again. He's ascended to the Father. He's coming again. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You humble yourself and give yourself in service. God will take care of lifting you up. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he will lift you up. He holds you. He takes care of you. And He gives grace to you. God is opposed to the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. Abundant grace. Abundant life. John 13, 15. Next slide, please. Read, say it loud, out loud with me. For I have given you an example that you do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the humble, the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The blessing comes when we humble ourselves under God and serve others. Amen. Father, today, as we've heard your word, I pray that we would respond to your word in faith and obedience and trust. I pray that we would receive Christ as our Lord and that we would live under him, obedient to him. Have your way in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.